This is a Federal News Network podcast. Close to half of federal employees say agency leaders are not listening to their feedback on office reentry. In an exclusive Federal News Network survey, more than 3,000 respondents shared their latest thoughts and concerns about returning to the office. Here with some of what they had to say, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Hey, Drew. Hey, Jared. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so let's let's dig into the res- results a little bit. A- agencies are getting some of their employees back into the office, although I think it varies agency to agency. What did um, survey respondents from across the government say about some of those plans? We saw in our survey that for about 43% of respondents are currently working entirely remotely. That's slightly higher than what we saw in the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey for 2021. But regardless, there has been a drop in telework this year. Many agencies are telling their employees they have to come back into the office about one day a week or two days per pay period. And we can't say for sure if that's necessarily related to a drop in employee satisfaction and engagement in FEBS, but that's a similar trend that we saw in our own survey. We saw that two-thirds of respondents say that they're concerned about their agency's return to office plans in the Federal News Network survey. And just over half, as you said, are not satisfied with the way their agency is conducting those plans. Many said that the past two years and past two years and change prove that teleworking is successful. It started out as a necessity for COVID-19, but it's extended beyond that a bit now. A lot of respondents of our survey said that it increases their productivity and they felt like, you know, it's maybe not necessary for them to return to the office possibly ever. And we also asked folks what their biggest concerns about coming back were. What were some of the specifics that we heard? The top concern for people who were looking at coming back to the office, they said that the commute was the biggest concern. But other ones up there as well were COVID-19 safety procedures, work-life balance, and reduced productivity. But for the commute, they said that going to to and from the office each day takes time out of the day when that could have been better spent working from home. And also many said that when they arrive at the office, they find it empty or they're doing things that there's not really a need to be in the office for. So it's there is some frustration there with employees saying, you know, they they don't feel like there's any reason to go to the office aside from it just being the policy of the agency. And, and how about on the guidance level? How do people feel about the guidance they're, they're getting both government wide and from their own agencies? So that was uh, a bit of an issue in the survey. Many respondents said that they were concerned about the way that their agency was communicating on the guidance or what they were saying about it. So guidance is largely up to each individual agency. And a lot of respondents said that they were looking for something that wasn't a one size fits all policy. They said, you know, common sense is really important when it comes to return to office plans. They said that you know, a lot of back-end office work or um, just different types of federal jobs don't necessarily uh, rely on coming into the office, but others who are public-facing do. So it really just depends on the individual and agencies or and employees are saying that they want their agency leaders to listen to them a little bit more about uh, what that would look like in practice. And and do people generally feel like their agencies are listening, or is it possible to even generalize about that question? It's hard to say. And I think that one interesting trend from 
The question when we asked if agencies are listening to their employees, a lot of survey respondents did say, you know, maybe the agencies are listening, maybe leadership is hearing what they're saying, but there's no action. There's no second part of that. So they might say, okay, we understand that you're concerned, but uh, there's no response to that and there's no communication on you know, how is that looking in practice? So I think that's that's where some, at least some of the respondents were concerned about the way that agencies were implementing these plans. Um, you already mentioned the issue of productivity, which seemed to have been a big theme in the responses that we've got. But recruitment and retention, too. Employees seem to have pretty strong feelings there as well. Absolutely. There were some survey respondents who also said that the limited telework options for federal employees or possibly bringing more federal employees back to the office would potentially affect recruitment and retention, which is a big and ongoing issue for the federal workforce. They said that uh, many other jobs and perhaps in the private sector would offer more flexibility and more options for remote work. And the survey respondents said that they might take jobs elsewhere in response to how they, you know, people are looking for more flexibility in their work and, you know, uh, that could affect recruitment and retention for the, for the workforce as well. Andrew, even though there's pretty strong majorities here in the survey saying they would like flexibility to continue, a lot of people want to be in the office and, and told us that, right? Absolutely. There were definitely a lot of respondents who said that they enjoy the camaraderie of being in the office setting they like the more relaxed nature that it provides, having these like hallway conversations. And a lot of newer federal employees wrote in the survey that they were finding it hard to get acclimated when entirely teleworking. For instance, one respondent wrote that they like face-to-face communication and wouldn't mind more office work, but they also come to appreciate the flexibility and simplicity of working from home. And another person said they you know, they like the idea of having a balance, having maybe two or three days in the physical location and then two or three days teleworking as well. So that's something that, you know, it wasn't every survey respondent who said that they want to just continue telework or continue that for the long term. There were those pushing back as well and saying, no, it's better for agencies to come back to the office. It provides more, you know, it provides for more communication and teamwork among different uh among different employees. So on those responses, just to make sure I've, I've got what you, you said right, it's not just that people feel like they want to be in the office. They feel like their colleagues should be required to be brought into the office as well. Is that fair, at least among some of the respondents? Among some respondents, yes, there was a sentiment that having more people in the office would benefit everyone. And that also kind of goes with some of the respondents who said, you know, why am I coming into the office to an empty office? So it kind of goes hand in hand there. If you have for some respondents, if you have everyone in the office, then that can contribute to just better work. All right. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks very much. Thank you, Jared. And you can find a lot more details from our survey in Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations. 
for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, at, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that, that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, 
You know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 of Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.